have to slightly disappoint you. We're turning to Luke chapter, 20, uh, chapter 14 this morning. Now I know it says in the bulletin uh, 14, 1 and then 7, but I'm going to read the verses in between there. I'll mention a little bit about them during the sermon. Let's hear the word of the Lord to us this morning. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy, a lot of swelling in his limbs, uh, fluid build up and so on. Jesus responded to the, lawyer, to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well, or a child stuck in a cave for that matter, on a Sabbath day would not immediately pull him out? They could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, and you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you will be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. They all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. The servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, What you have commanded has been done. And still there is room. The master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited 
shall taste my banquet. Let's give glory to the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the You may be seated. You know, every household has their own style of meals and table manners. We no longer live in the times of Downton Abbey. We do not have the big spread with all the silverware spaced perfectly on the table, all the servants coming around us and serving around the right side and picking up around the left. We do not have those very distinct positions around the table where each member of the household would sit. No, we're much more casual and formal nowadays, aren't we? How often are our meals TV trays watching Jeopardy? Or with our busy lifestyles where we're frequently not home, we eat out. Hit the fast food places, um, Wendy's, Arby's, um, Or maybe we just grab some pizza or takeout off the counter. We got to go. We got to run. We might eat. We seldom probably do we eat breakfast together. Kids have to get out to to school and parents have to get off to work. And I mean, you know, sometimes it's just graze the refrigerator and see what's there. Or for dinner, maybe it's just zap something in the microwave. And when we do, Um, go out and eat at a fast food in the booth. I mean, we're using our sporks and our straws. Well, if you live in Seattle, that may be soon history. But um, there's no hard decision about which spork to use or which straw to sip through. I mean, what have we got? But just suppose you're going to a wedding feast, and I'm not talking about the kind of wedding that's got a buffet. I'm talking about a sit-down wedding feast. There it is, all the fine china and all the silverware and the candles and everything's just beautiful. And up at the head table, the bride and groom and the wedding party and and their parents and, and probably there are name tags on each table letting you know where you're gonna sit. Or maybe we should just make this a little bit simpler. You're going to grandma's for an extended family holiday dinner. Yes, kids, sit down and stay down. You gotta follow the manners and rules. You gotta know where to sit and how not to upset grandma and you can't be asked to be excused just because you're tired of listening to those grown-ups talk. Well, what do you do when you're in a fancy occasion and you don't know what to do. You watch the host. You watch the host. If he picks up this fork, then you pick up that fork. If he picks up this spoon, then you pick up the spoon. And I got that reversed because I always set the table wrong. But the spoon and the fork or the knife, and you just 
follow the host. Watch the host. Or perhaps you don't know where to sit. You ask the host. As we come to this passage in the Word of God, we're in the book of Luke. Now, the book of Luke's theme is Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. In the book of Luke, there's a section beginning at the end of chapter 9 and going most of the way through chapter 18 that is unique to the gospel of Luke. The stories and parables in it are not found in Mark or Matthew, and they refer to it oftentimes as the travel narrative because it's basically dealing with that time when Jesus is leaving Galilee for the last time, heading for Jerusalem where he will be crucified. In this section, Luke has 14 parables that are unique to him. Now, there are four, approximately 40 parables in the New Testament that Jesus used. Of those, Luke uses 28, and 15 are unique to Luke. 14 are in this section in which we're looking this morning. Here we have three parables, Jesus teaching, and we have to notice who he's dealing with. It's very obvious through the whole passage he's with a group of Pharisees. You know, when I was in seminary, they said there's Pharisees and Sadducees, and the Pharisees believed in the resurrection and the Sadducees didn't, and that's why you're, they're sad, you see. But the truth is, the Pharisees were not very fair. They were basically mostly laymen. They were the religious conservatives of their day. They held that the law has been neglected too much. We've gotten too liberal with things. We've got to get back to the law. We've got to watch the, every little jot and tittle the law. And again and again, we find Jesus coming in conflict with them. In chapter 13, a ruler of the synagogue, who was obviously a Pharisee, got after Jesus because he healed a woman of an evil spirit on the Lord on the Sabbath. And he says, you got six days in which you can heal a woman. The Sabbath is holy. You can't do that kind of thing. And Jesus responds by saying, if you've got a disastrous situation, why do you put it off? Here again, we see the same thing happening. Jesus is inviting, invited to the table of a Pharisee, a ruler of the Pharisees in a village, probably a different village than the previous one. And as he arrives... Well, lo and behold, there's somebody that needs to be healed. And it is the Sabbath. Hmm, is this a setup? Well, Jesus immediately takes over in a sense. He says, is it lawful for a man to heal on the Sabbath or not? He heals the man. And the Pharisees were left speechless. It's really interesting because in this passage, Jesus is engaged in a dialogue with the group of Pharisees and lawyers that have invited him to dine with him on this particular Sabbath day, and yet there's only one verse where they say anything, but they're looking. They're, the host is watching the guest. The host, the hosts are looking for perhaps a way of trapping him. Perhaps a way of finding a fault or problem in his theology. And so we find here Jesus is basically almost carrying on a monologue 
with a bunch of tight-lipped, staring men, their beards, their somber faces, their, their Pharisees, you know, they can't be happy. Um, and Jesus is looking at them and seeing what's in their hearts. He knows what's going on. Notice it starts out. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Now he told a parable. He's going to start talking about manners here, you know. In Jesus' day, table manners were pretty easy because they basically mostly ate outside a goat skin or some kind of skin on the ground, a few mats around it. You'd sit on the mat. You'd eat off uh, the bowls and the bread would be placed on the mat and you'd eat with your fingers. No silverware. You don't have to worry about which sport to use. And um, mostly vegetables. Occasionally for special occasions they would have meat and they would um, sit around it. Now, sometimes they did have banquets, special meals, and this was mainly the people that were wealthy. They would have low tables, probably no taller than 14 inches, set up in a U-shape with the head of the table where the host would sit and two people on either side of him, and then on the sides, other guests, and the middle would be open so that servants could bring the bowls and, and bread and serve them on the table. So here we are in this ruler's house. There's a table. So obviously, it's a very wealthy place. And there are certain manners to be considered here. And one of them is, where do you sit? You know, that's an important issue. Even at a potluck, a church potluck. You ever gone through the potluck line and there's all the tables and where are you going to sit? Who are you going to sit with? Do you sit down with somebody you know? Or do you sit down at an empty table and hope someone comes along that wants to talk to you? Do you have those feelings? I know I do. <laughs> Sometimes I'll, I'll take a chance and be very disappointed. Other times, you know, you just seize the opportunity if there's a spot, take it. But here we find a group of people that are jostling around and they're trying to get the key position. Now, I suspect because Jesus is the subject of their interrogation that most of them were trying to get close to him so they could really watch him. And they're jostling around, they're trying to take these different positions, and Jesus is observing this whole thing, and so he says to those invited, he says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down at the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. In other words, it's very critical here, you know. You sit down in the special position, and then along comes the host, he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guest is more important than you are. You go sit over there. Yeah, I know it's a wedding, but you sit at the children's table. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Here they are. These guys are the kind of people that are very showy with their, their religiousness. They're always concerned about how people see them, and yet they treated oftentimes other people with contempt. We read in chapter 18, that, um, let me find my, okay. Ah, I've got to get my other page out here. 
We read in chapter 18 that they were those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated other people with contempt. Jesus is talking about the fact that these people are filled with pride. Now, we know what kind of people they think they are, but he is looking into their hearts and he sees a pride that is not very positive in God's eyes. And it's an example of this is by the way they jostle for their positions at the table. Humility is a very important thing in God's sight. We read in the scriptures in Proverbs that um, all the ways of a man are pure in his eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Anyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 29, 23, one's pride will bring him low, but he is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. And that passage gets quoted in the New Testament in James chapter 4. Uh, he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And Peter, he adds his line here too, he says, clothe yourselves all of you with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. At the proper time, He will exalt you. God's grace magnifies itself in humble hearts. God is glorified as people are humble before Him, as they recognize that they're before the Lord and that He knows them he knows the depths of their hearts, and they're certainly not worthy to be in his presence. The, these people did not have that kind of humility. But then he goes on with another parable. Those that are invited are those that have no reason to be there. Jesus said to his host, When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You see, Jesus is teaching here about grace, and probably the theme of this whole passage that I'm preaching this morning is that God's invitation of grace is for those who have humbled, contrite hearts. Calvin says here that this passage teaches us, first of all, how we are to inwardly be before God. And then it teaches us about the nature of God's banquet of grace. These people have invited their friends, their neighbors, their rich neighbors. They've invited people of their own social class you look around this table, Jesus says, and you see a single poor person. Even the guy that had the dropsy that got healed, he's gone. We don't see here a concern for those who really have a need. We see here an example of people that can repay you with the same kind of courtesy that you're showing at this banquet. In the Northwest, there was a thing called the potlatch. You ever heard of a potlatch? Potlatches were big events. You would give a feast and all the neighboring Indians would come in their canoes and, and there would be lots of ceremony and a big feast and you would eat for two or three days, all at the host's expense. 
And then they would load up their canoes with all the leftovers and paddle off. And the host would expect soon to be invited to a potlatch by one of them. That was the custom. If you gave a potlatch, you were expected to be repaid with a potlatch. In fact, potlatching became such a big show that people would go overboard to show how wealthy they were. They would even smash up things and break things just to show, well, I don't need these things. I'll just smash this platter here or knock over this wooden box. You know, they, they cooked in wooden boxes, by the way. Um, and or even killing slaves. It got so bad that the Canadian government outlawed potlatches. It became illegal to hold a potlatch because of the abuse. You see, you give a feast, you expect one in return. Jesus says here, when you give a banquet, you invite those who cannot give you anything in return because he's trying to teach them about grace. Grace is God's riches to those who cannot repay God. They're unearned. Grace is given to those who have a need and cannot in any way earn or repay the provision of that need. And so here we see that Jesus starts talking about the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. You know, God says in Isaiah, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. When God gives his banquet, as we're going to see in a couple minutes, it's opened up to those who have need and can bring nothing to the table. So, first of all, we considered what's the proper place, and the proper place is to humble yourself before God and let Him place you where He wants you to be. And then secondly, we saw that those who are invited are those who need it, who need grace and have no reason for being there. But now we get to the pinnacle the third parable. We finally hear something from these somber, silent teachers of the law. When Jesus says that um, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, immediately, boom, the eyes open up. Hey, he's just said something theological. Now we can get into it. And so one of those at the table, when he heard him say this, to, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. You know, we're looking forward to eating in that great messianic feast in the kingdom of God. Blessed is the man. This is good theology. And you brought up the subject. And Jesus surprises them again with this parable. Now, they expected him to say something like this. This would have been the proper thing to respond with. Oh, Lord, may we be among the righteous and counted worthy without blemish to sit with men of renown in that day. But Jesus doesn't respond with that. He tells them another parable. 
Jesus says, a king gave a feast and he invited many. Now, you know, the messianic banquet concept is something we can look to Isaiah to understand. Now, I warned you that we might go back to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 25, where Isaiah says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of food rich full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples the veil that is spread over all nations he will swallow up death forever and the lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the lord has spoken it will be said on that day behold this is our god we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Hey, what a picture. This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago in Isaiah chapter 49, isn't it? God bringing in the nations. It's not enough that the servant of the Lord will save the remnant of Israel, but it, he's going to bring the fullness of God's people from the far corners of the earth. And it's like refugees coming through the wilderness, children being carried on the shoulders and, and being brought to the Lord in His glory. But you know, that wasn't too popular an idea with the leaders of the Jews in the intertestamental period. And, and we have three very striking examples of how they miss represented and misinterpreted these words of Isaiah. And so when they did the Aramaic translation of the Old Testament for the Jews that were no longer speaking Hebrew but Aramaic, they changed the wording a little bit so that no longer is it all people being brought into this feast, but yeah, the, the, the Jews of Israel will be brought into the feast, but the other guys, God's bringing in to slap them on the hands, to punish them. To bring judgment or plagues upon them. And the book of Enoch, which was written during the intertestament period, it's an apocryphal book, says very clearly that God is going to judge and destroy these Gentiles as they come. He's going to draw them in and let them have it. Well, the Qumran community, now you know about the Qumran community, they're the ones that did the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have the book of Isaiah in their stuff. They have some other writings that were not the scriptures that we have found. And we found in there that they said very clearly that what Isaiah was talking about here was a banquet in which people would be seated by rank, by, the, by their prestige and their holiness, by rank. They would be seated at this banquet. But nobody who has a blemish a disability will be seated at that table and no Gentile will be allowed in that place. Jesus is making it clear that this is not what Isaiah was talking about. They've completely flip-flopped it around. And so when this guy says how blessed it will be to sit at that banquet 
He's not talking about the banquet Jesus is talking about. In the previous chapter, chapter 13, Jesus says, People will come from the east and west and the north and the south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. Jesus then proceeds to tell this parable. This guy's given a big dinner. He's invited all his guests. Now, you got to realize that this is a custom in those days, and perhaps we don't realize it's a custom for us too. There are two invitations. The first invitation would be, I'm going to give a feast, and I want you to come. Can you come? And he would send out this message to all those he's invited to come. And he would say, uh, next week on the Sabbath, maybe, I'm going to have a feast, and I want you all to come and join me, and are you going to come? And people would RSVP, and they'd say, we'll be there. And then there's a second invitation. Now, the there's a reason why you do this, because you realize when you do a big feast like this, you've got to kill the fatted calf. Well, maybe it's not that big a feast, we're just going to kill a goat. Well, maybe not that big a feast, a duck, a chicken. But anyway, you've got to kill something, you've got to pluck it, you've got to prepare it, you've got to cook it. This takes time. So you send out the first invitation, you find out, well, I've got 30 guests coming. So you prepare a meal for 30 guests. And that takes time because we're talking about cooking outdoors over a spit and all this other stuff. And finally the meal's ready and you send your servant out to summon them to the feast, the second invitation. It's ready. Now come. Okay, Jesus says. But when the servant went out and let them know that the meal was ready, they all alike began to make excuses. Well, you know, I'm buying this field now. I know it's late in the evening and um, all of us who buy fields in the Holy Land have long ago inspected the property, but I must go and look at it. Excuse me. Another guy says, well, I bought these oxen and even though it's getting dark, I've got to go try them out. Excuse me. Another guy says, well, I just got married and, well, you know how married people are. A little bit of... I can't come. They start to make excuses. All alike. These are just examples of the kind of excuses that this, this Lord of the banquet was receiving. Everyone was saying, we can't come. There's all the food. It's ready. No one to eat it. Now, you know, preachers have done a lot of things with this passage. I mean, you get into it, you know, you can talk about the boastful pride of life and the love of our things and the love of life and all that stuff. And here's the guy that's more concerned about his, his field he's buying or his business interests, his oxen or, or his relationships, his marriage. And these are things that get in the way of accepting the invitation of God. But I want to suggest to you here that Luke has a slightly different take on this. Each one of these guys says, I have, I must, excuse me, I've done this, I've done that. I must follow it up with these things, so excuse me. They're sabotaging the very dinner, the very banquet, the very feast. 
And Luke is pointing out to us that Israel, the Pharisees, the leadership of, of the people, the nation, are doing the exact same thing. They're rejecting what God has given them in His Son. And as a result, we see anger. Now just think, you plan a dinner. I mean, you've got the table set, the china out, you've been cooking all day, and the phone rings. We can't come. Well, we got books overdue at the library. <laughs> or, well, you know, I got to pay bills. And there you are. How do you feel? So this king who's giving this banquet is filled with anger. And what does he do? Does he get even? Does he talk about these people and say, they didn't come? No, he says to his servant, I want you to go out and I want you to bring in all the lame and the needy and the poor and the blind and I want you to bring them into the banquet. Let's feed them all. And the servant goes out and he starts gathering these people in. You realize these are the very people that the Pharisees said don't belong at the banquet of the Lord. These are the kinds of people that have no place at the banquet. The Messianic banquet that Isaiah talked about. That he opened up to all peoples. And even more than that, when the, all these people are brought in, there's still a lot of empty seats. And so he says to the servant, you go out into the highways. You go out into the hedges. You go out as far as you need to go and you bring them in that my house will be filled. You see, Isaiah said, that the Lord is going to prepare a banquet for those who need, for all nations, and they're going to be brought in. The Lord is determined that His banquet hall be filled. And we get an unexpected climax then. Instead of reacting in anger, we see grace poured out the grace of the banquet table of the Lord the grace the forgiveness of God is being poured out the needy their needs are being met they're being drawn in there's a complete flip-flop taking place here and Jesus interestingly enough cuts it off he doesn't say and yes the banquet hall was filled because the truth is, the banquet hall is still being filled. And the servants that have gone out into the highways and the hedges and the islands and the continents and all those places to share the gospel are in the process of filling up the banquet table of the Lord. And the invitations are out. The invitation has been given that the Lord is going to prepare a feast for all peoples. And the second invitation is now out there. Come. It's ready. 
The Lord has given himself on the cross. He's died for your sins. He's been risen from the grave. And he says, come unto me, all you who are weak and weary. Come unto me and your souls will find rest. He says, come, buy and eat without money. Come, buy milk, buy wine without money. Come, Isaiah chapter 55 says those things. And notice he uses a rather interesting word here. And commentators have a bit of a time with this word. He says, compel them to come in. Well, does this mean you go out there and you force them to become banquet attenders? Or rather, does it mean that these are people who need to know that they have a need and they need to know that they have a Savior who reaches out with His grace? And they need the work, the effort that takes to make them realize that, yes, there is a place for them at the table. So Jesus is presenting here a, a tremendous picture. A picture of God's grace for those who are humble and contrite that don't feel like they belong at the table of the Lord. They feel like they should take the lowest place, but God will exalt and honor them with His grace. God is presenting here a picture through Jesus in His parable of the fact that these people are those who don't have anything, but yet they don't need anything. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. God is reaching out to the needy, the poor, and drawing them in. He's reaching out to those who are scattered and hopeless. And he's, God is taking away the shroud of death, the blindness of their hearts, and opening up his kingdom to them. Well, there's one more thing that's said here. Notice in the last verse that Jesus says, I tell you that not one of those men who were invited shall have tasted my dinner. A very subtle change. It's not too obvious in the English translation here. But you know, up to this point in time, the king has been doing talking in the parable, right? The king says to his servant, well, go out and bring him in. Well, there's still room. Go out and get some more and bring him in. Then it says, I tell you that not one, not one of those who were invited shall taste my dinner. He's not speaking through the king anymore. This is Jesus speaking to those seated around him at the table. The reason why is it's a plural you there. There's a servant but now he says, you all, you, plural, shall not taste my dinner. Well, I think it's probably a little bit conditional here in that if they would humble themselves before Lord and they would change the hearts who are unloving and ungracious and respond to the invitation, the invitation is still open. But for how much longer? And if they reject the host, if they make excuses, whatever kind of excuses, well, I don't really need religion in my life. I've got a good life. I've got my possessions. I've got my relationships. I've got my business. So many things, you know. Life's good. 
Takeout is fine. Pizza's okay on the counter as long as it's not three days old. Um, no, we need to come to the banquet, and the invitation is open to us. How did the Pharisees respond to Jesus' teaching? It doesn't say. We do know then a few weeks, maybe a month or two, they're going to be out to get him. But you know, these parables are given to us too. Do you look upon your faith as something well that you show? Or are your hearts really humbled before God? Do you recognize you need His grace? And do you see yourself as God sees you? Because that's what humility is. Seeing yourself as God sees you. Do you recognize that you are lame and poor and blinded? That you need grace that there's no way you can bring, but only God can give, but He offers it through His Son? And as you come to the table and Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are weak and weary, as you come to this table, the broken body, the blood of Christ, is that your hope and trust? The invitation is there. Come unto me. Let's not make excuses. Let's embrace the Lord and find our place at His banquet table. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that as we listen to the Lord speak this morning, that you'll help us to look into our own hearts, to our own motives, to our own needs. And then, Father, you'll help us to see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in all its riches and glory. Bring us, Father, to your banqueting table, we pray in Jesus' name.